Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And so I want to welcome you. And, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church and I uh, want to encourage you is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services here in the community. Over the summer, uh, a lot of changes going on at Coastal Community Church. We're changing locations, and, and part of what we wanted to focus on in the summer as we move into our new location is to remind us of the one thing that doesn't change and won't change at Coastal, and that's that we wanted to lift up the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews is the perfect letter to remind us that Jesus is greater than anything we could imagine. And so I hope you'll join us and enjoy this sermon called Greater Than. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. While you're turning there, I want to um, kind of call out all of you dads. If you're a dad, I want you to stand up. Come on, dads, stand on up. Yeah. You are the lovers of, stay standing, stay standing. Like normally every year the, the women, like the, women's, uh, the women of the church do like donuts for dad, but this year they're giving us like spiritual books or something. I was like, I'd rather have the donuts. Um, sorry, if you're like, <laughs> no, you are the lovers of your family. You are the backbone of this church. You are the ones that are training your children and your grandchildren to be godly men and women. And I wanna thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having the word of God be evident in your life. And thank you for this, this morning. So thank you, gentlemen, thank you. Let's give them a hand again, all these men. You can have a seat now. If you're a graduate as well, if you graduated high school this week, do we have any graduates, any high school graduates? No high school graduates in this service? They all partied this, this last night and uh, they're, they're not coming into the early service, even though it is only 9.15. Um, all right, well, we'll save that for the next service. There'll be 20 in the next service. Um, if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to be looking at the entire chapter of Hebrews 10, but I am not going to read it all to you. And I know a lot of you are going, Whew. if you came in this morning and you opened up your uh, bulletin, you saw that there was a whole lot of notes, a whole lot of writing, a whole lot of, hey, this is Father's Day. I'm supposed to be able to watch TV and drink beer on the couch or, or Coke, sorry. Um, <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10 is what we're going to be looking at. I'm not going to read the whole thing because the first part, what's so great about Hebrews 10 is the first part, if you were here two weeks ago, the first part really is a synopsis. It's a re-communication re of the original uh, Hebrews chapter, if you were here, um, for Hebrews chapter 8. It's kind of a review and we're going to review quickly, and then we're going to go on into the rest of Hebrews 10. But what I want to do is, instead of reviewing that part, I want to begin in verse 19. 
Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. We're going to read verses 19 through 25. We're going to review in the first part of this message. And then what we're going to do is we're going to get into now, how shall we live? What's the so what? The writer of Hebrews is transitioning here. And he's, and he, remember in chapter eight, he talked about the main point. What's the main point of the book of Hebrews? I know this is really hard. It's a Sunday school answer, but what is it? It's Jesus. Jesus. If I had my little, uh, my little son here, it's Jesus. Jesus, that would be the answer to everything. My son came out of the, um, out of, out of Sunday school, a few, uh, Sunday school, I guess, children's ministry or whatever. He came out a few weeks ago and he, uh, he just looked at me, he goes, dad, I think I got this thing figured out. Jesus is the answer to everything. And I was like, yes, he is. And if you're getting that, buddy, you're doing well. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 is where I want to start reading. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Isn't that a great verse? God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is, no, there is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refuses to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29, just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people. Verse 31, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you suffered. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into the jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things awaiting you for you, uh, for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. 
For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Let's pray. Father God, in the next few moments, I pray that you would illuminate your word to us through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would be truly the faithful ones, Lord God, until the coming of your son, Jesus Christ. Precious Father, we love you. And we are so grateful for today, for this is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it's truth. We thank you that it divides between the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. Have your way in our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit and your word this morning. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Um, it's, about, it's been about three weeks um, since I got this infection on my legs, and it's been caused by poison ivy, poison oak, chiggers, like you name it. And my legs have been on, uh, infected. And I don't know about you, but I hate to itch. And in fact, like I'm still experiencing some of the residue. And I got the little cortisone thing and I just kind of put it on. And I hate to itch. And when I itch, and if you itch, I don't know if you've ever gotten like a mosquito bite or something. And you itch it and then it starts to ooze. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, oh, this is so gross. This is for the men, all right? Oh. And you start to ooze. And so I went to the dermatologist because my legs were actually getting worse. And then it started to kind of spread on my arms. And I'm like, what kind of, what is this? So I go and see the dermatologist and the dermatologist, and it kind of got under control because I had taken this pad and I kind of scrubbed, like I scrubbed it and I got to the blood and it was bleeding. And I don't know about you, but like, I know some of you guys are like, this is grossing me out. And, and so I went to the dermatologist and I said, it's a little bit better now. I need some cream, but it's a little bit better now. And she says, well, why is it better? And she looked at it and she goes, I know why it's better. Because when you scratch so hard and get to the blood, the blood always beats the infection. The blood, you get to the blood and you get all the dead skin off and you get rid of the ooze and then the blood comes in and the blood is what brings the healing. And I was like... Sermon illustration, boom, (laughs) boom. I didn't tell her that, but I was like, that's incredible. (laughs) Why? Because there's healing in the blood. The healing is in the blood. The infection of our soul is sin. We've been, we have an infection and it's called sin and it is destroying us. But Jesus Christ brought, sent, God sent his son Jesus and he spilt his blood to bring healing. Pretty sweet, huh? That's what we're talking about. Greater than my sin. Not just as my sin as a Christian, and that's what the t- title is, but just if you have sin, Christ is greater than your sin here this morning. Some of you would say, my sin is so great, there's just no way that God could ever forgive me. 
Some of you are under the weight of this guilt of your sin, and you might be saved here this morning and have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and has kept you paralyzed. Your sin has kept you paralyzed. There's freedom here this morning. There's freedom in Jesus Christ this morning. And the writer of Hebrews talks about this. And if you're taking notes, pull out your pen, your lipstick, mascara, whatever you want to write with, but write this down. Christ is our perfect sacrifice. Remember we talked about this two weeks ago? Chapter 10, the first 18 verses is just really a review. It's just really a review of what we talked about in chapter eight. So basically, if you weren't here two weeks ago, listen to Hebrews eight. Basically, the writer of Hebrews gives us this exact same thing again, except he goes a little bit further this time. But Christ is our perfect sacrifice. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the animal sacrifices and then the, the, the family would bring a lamb into their home and then they would love on the lamb and then the, then, then the family would bring the lamb to the priest and then the priest would put it on the altar and the family would be there and sometimes they'd put the hands. Now I'd tell you guys this last week because I thought it would gross you out, but since it's man week, we're gonna go for it. They would put their hands on the lamb. Sometimes the priest would allow the kids and the parents to put their hands on the lamb as they bled him out so that they could feel the lifelessness of this, the, the effect of sin on, uh, so that the kids could feel that this lamb had to die for your sin. But we have a great lamb Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. His name was Jesus. He was our perfect sacrifice. He was perfect, obedient, and he died from God. He was a dead sacrifice. He had to die. He shed his blood for our sins. It was a final sacrifice. Remember that? Two weeks ago, he bodily rose from the dead after three days, validating that the sacrifice worked. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago, remember, they bled out the lamb, the lamb died, and it paid for the sins, but not permanently. They had to do this on an annual basis. Remember that? Why? Because the lamb didn't come back to life. That would be creepy. They kill the lamb, and then the lamb, like, three days later, comes back to life, it comes into the house, you know? That's something out of a horror movie. But Jesus died, he bled on the cross for our sins, the total sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. Then he rose from the dead, validating that the sacrifice was effective. Hebrews 10 tells us this. Remember the old system, it didn't work anymore. It was imperfect. Look at verse two. If they could have proved perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once and for all, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But just the opposite happened. Those yearly sacrifices reminded them, this is verse 3, of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why Christ, when he came into the world, said, you did not want animal sacrifices and grain offerings but you have given me a body. I'm talking about whose body? Christ's body. Christ's body was the once and for all final sacrifice to tell us die. It is finished. He rose from the dead to validate that. 
See, number three is the animal sacrifices didn't work as sacrifice. The law required blood. Why? Because blood brought healing. Christ's perfect blood brought perfect healing. There was no longer any need to continue to do the animal sacrifices in the temple. Christ was once and for all. And remember, the writer of Hebrews is writing to these Hebrew Christians who want to go back to the old sacrifices. They want to go back to the old way of doing things. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't. It's old. It doesn't work. That's why God sent Christ. Animals didn't work. They required, the law required blood. Number four, old covenant was paid for with the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. Christ's body bled and died for your sins. Why? Because the animals were insufficient. And then all of a sudden, if the animals are insufficient, then what is the only option that we have? What was the only other option? You can pay for your sin yourself with your blood, or you can accept the substitute of Christ and his blood for your sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, so therefore, blood is required for our sin. And you can pay for it yourself, or you can allow Christ to pay for it. And if you look, he, to go back... To go back to the old way of doing things, to go back to the old sacrifice, is to basically look and say, Jesus' blood didn't work. It wasn't enough, Jesus. The blood that you shed on the cross, it was insufficient. We got to go back. And sometimes we go back, think about it in our Christian life. Let's play this out in our everyday life. We go back sometimes to the old because it seems more comfortable. We go back to the old because it's what we know. We go back to the old because it seems familiar. Remember the Apostle Paul said, he said, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Christ makes us new. And the Hebrew Christians wanted to go back. That kind of sounds familiar. Remember in the Exodus, Moses, he's taken the children of Israel, he takes them out of the slavery and bondage of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea in this glorious miracle. And then what happens? Starts to get hard. And what do they say? Let's go back. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to our slavery. And we look at that and go, why would they want to go back to slavery? Stupid. We do it every day. In our own lives, Christ has set us free from our sin. And what happens? When things get hard in the Christian life, what happens? Let's go back. Let's go back to the old life. Let's go back to the old way of living. No, Christ has set us free. Christ's blood paid for the final sacrifice. Look at this. Look at letter B. Christian, forgiven, sanctified, living sacrifice for God. 
So this is how it plays out. See, Christ was the dead sacrifice that rose again from the grave. And through his life, it validated his sacrifice. Now, we as Christians, this is beautiful, are not dead sacrifices anymore. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we now are what? Living sacrifices. Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, the apostle Paul says, I beseech you or I beg you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Why? Why can we present ourselves as a living sacrifice? Because Christ died and his sacrifice was enough. Therefore, we can present ourselves to Christ as a living sacrifice. I remember when I was in high school and we thought we were really cool. We were like, we're going to live for God. And if we need to, we're going to die for God. Whatever, whatever it takes, we're going to die for God. And I remember my youth pastor, he looked at us and we were all felt, we were all like, man, we were spiritual. Yeah. I remember our youth pastor, he kind of pulled us aside and he just looked at us and he said, how about this? Yeah, I believe that you guys would die for God. He said, but how about this? Why don't you just live for him today? See, that's, that's, that's the call is to be a living sacrifice. See, we're forgiven. Our blood is not required. Look at verse 18 of of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18. Now, when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. It's the mic drop of Jesus, man. He could walk off the stage. Why? No more sacrifices. You're, you're forgiven for every sin that you've ever committed, past, present, and future. When you re- believe and receive Jesus Christ into your life, guess what? All past, present, and future sins are forgiven. And so here's my question. Why, Christian, do we continue to, resi- to reside in our sin? Why do we let our sin continue to dictate who we are? Why can't we just let ourselves go, look, yes, I'm a sinner, Christ has saved me. Isn't Christ glorious? Isn't he wonderful? Because we still think somehow in some way we have to do something to earn this. Or we think somehow in some way we have to be perfect now. We can't be perfect. We couldn't be perfect to save ourselves. We can't be perfect now in our living of this Christian life out. We still need Christ, but we've been forgiven And so therefore, we can look in our small groups. And if you're not a part of a small group, I encourage you, get in a small group. And one of the rules of of my small group is this. It's called the Vegas group. We have the Vegas rule. It's what happens in the group stays in the group. And the idea is this. We look and we just say, listen, so they share something that's going on in their life. And this is the response. Is that all you got? Is that it? Man, Christ paid for that on the cross. He forgave you of your sins. Let's come together and let's pray and let's encourage you and let's help continue in your relationship with Christ. I get ahead of myself because we're going to get there. Sanctified, holy, set apart for God, verses 11 and 14. 
Sanctification now begins the process of sanctification. See, justification is the fact that Christ paid for our sins and now Christ has saved us and that's how God sees us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have to pay for our sins because Christ paid for our sins. Now the second part of this Christian life is called the sanctification process. It's just a fancy word for saying that you're set apart or made holy for Christ, for God. And it's this process of him making you more like Jesus. And he uses the Holy Spirit of God to do this. And the reason he can do this is because he paid for our sins. Therefore, we can be living sacrifices. Look at number three, living dead no more. That's kind of cool, living dead, huh? We're living dead no more. Ephesians chapter two, verse one, it says you were dead in your sins, but you're not dead anymore. What can dead people do? They can't do anything. They're dead. But Christ has made us alive. And bodies for worship and service. So our bodies, in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I beg you therefore, brothers and sisters, in the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable act of worship. And in other translations it says, and service. It's this idea that now, because we are no longer dead in our sins and we're alive in Christ, we can present ourselves as living sacrifice for what? For worship and for service for the Lord. Before then, you know what? It was a lot of, it was like, look at me, look at me. Selfishness, spiritual deadness. But our sin was paid for through the sacrifice of Christ and salvation. Believing and receiving is paid for through the forgiveness of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ. Our sin is paid for. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what should get you up in the morning. That my sin no longer defines me, but Christ defines me. That the life that I now live, I live by the faith of Jesus Christ. The relationship I have in Jesus Christ. This is exciting. You could kind of get excited about this now. You can amen it or get excited or woohoo! Because here's the deal, if this is true, then therefore we have the ability to live for Christ. Before then we couldn't live for God. But because of Christ, now we can live for him. So that's what the writer of Hebrews then goes into in verses 19 through 25. You've believed and received Christ. Okay, here's the attitudes and actions that follow. There are some attitudes and actions that follow now that you've been saved. Now, here's the deal. If you've never believed and received and trusted Christ, these attitudes and actions are impossible for you. You might be able to duplicate them for a little bit, but you're not gonna be able, you can't sustain them. And Christian, the only reason we can sustain them is through the power of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. So here, here they are to follow. Verses 19 to 25, and this is the good stuff. It was all, it's all good stuff, but this is the stuff that we're gonna get into now. First one is this, Christians should have these attitudes. Verses 19 and 20. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. What's he talking about? He's talking about in prayer, we can be bold. Christians should have these attitudes, boldness in prayer. How do you pray before the Lord? Is this, this, is this this attitude of, 
I probably shouldn't ask for this because, you know, I sinned yesterday and, and I probably should beat myself up a little bit more and then maybe like tomorrow I'll ask God for that. I gotta make up for that. Some of you guys would say, yeah, you know, I don't do that. Maybe I do. Don't judge me. It's, it's this sense of we can have boldness in prayer. Verses 21 and 22, we can have cleanliness of the soul. What does that mean? Let's look at verses 19, I mean, let's look at verses 21 and 22. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's people, let us go right into the presence of God with true hearts, fully trusting him. Once again in this prayer, for our evil consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. The cleanliness is not just of our conscience and our soul, but it's of our entire self. Through the power and the washing of the Holy Spirit of God and the washing of the word. We can have cleanliness of soul. What are the attitudes that we need to have is we need to walk around that we're clean. We're clean. Don't you want to live like a people that are clean? Think about back in Jesus' time, the time of the lepers. When a leper would have to come up, they would have to announce their, they'd have to announce their approach by yelling, unclean, unclean, so that people would get out of their way. But we as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, we've been made clean, and not just externally with a shower, but internally of soul. You're clean. Christian, you're clean. What's the sin that you're holding on to that you don't think God can forgive you? You're clean. Every sin that you've ever committed, past, present, and future, you're clean. It doesn't define you anymore. All that God sees, yeah, all that God sees is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what this means? It means we can go into the deepest, darkest holes in the world and preach Jesus and those people can be made clean. That their souls, can, that they can be changed and transformed forever. That the blood of Jesus Christ is enough for the prostitute, the homosexual, the Muslim terrorist, the shed blood of Jesus Christ can forgive them of their sins, the adulterer, the pornographer. The liar, the gossip, that the shed blood of Jesus Christ could change them and clean them. And they could be new. I was devastated by the tragedy, what happened in Orlando. I mean, man, this week, and then you, you read about the Stanford rape case. If you, if you don't know about that, tragic. The way that our society views people. You know, you think about the radical Muslims in this world that just want to kill the infidel. 
Do you know the opposite? You know what a radical Christian is? It's Mother Teresa. An extreme Christian is somebody who loves, sells everything they have, and follows Christ. That's the attitude of a, of a radical Christian. See, that's how we stand in opposition to what's going on. The writer of Hebrews says, through what? Through what's our hope in life? Our hope in life, our attitude is that we have a hope in this life. And it's not based upon who's in the White House. It's not based upon what's going on in this world. It's based upon the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave. And our hope rests in Jesus Christ and the power of God working in our lives. That's where our hope is. And so what's the actions that follow? Christians should have these actions. What are the actions that follow? Here's the actions. The first one is love and good deeds. The more they hate, the more they kill, the more they destroy, the more our love and good deeds stand out. We're fighting the wrong battle. If we think that we can do something to fight and to take arms, no, our arms is to take up the word of God. Read Hebrew, read Ephesians chapter six, the armor of God. What's our action? Our action is love and good deeds, Christians. These are the actions that are to follow. It's yesterday, feeding families in the food pantry so that no one on the peninsula can go hungry. That's our actions, our actions is going to Honduras on missions trips to demonstrate our love to people that we don't know, to show them our love and good deeds. Not because this makes us holy, but it reveals that Christ has made us holy. See how that works? It doesn't make me any godlier. It just reveals that I am godly. Because Christ is doing it. Sometimes she's shoving me and kicking me out the door because I don't want to do it sometimes. I got to talk to this person about Jesus. <sighs> I know how some of you are. You feel that pressure? I got to share Christ with this person? I don't know what to say. Jesus loves you, died on the cross for your sins. Okay, Bye. No, it's just this, we can, we can be who we are. Why? Because our love and deeds, our love and good deeds demonstrate that. Our boldness in our prayer, our cleanliness of soul. Speaking of prayer, there's a prayer event that's going. If you want to go, sign up with Marty. They're taking a bus up to D.C. so we can have a million people to pray for our nation. And we need prayer. Sign up at the Welcome Center. There's two buses going up, 30 people. Don't miss it if you're a person or an intercessor of prayer. Cleanliness of soul, hope in life, love and good deeds. Here's number two, number 20, this is verse 25, and this is gonna hurt some of you. It's gonna hurt. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warm each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. Let me share this with you in love. In the King Jimmy, it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You know what the writer of Hebrews is saying? Show up for church. It's gonna bottom line it for you because I'm a C-spot run kind of guy. <laughs> Go to church. Show up every Sunday. 
Because there, we can encourage you, and you can encourage me, and you can encourage my family, and you can encourage each other in love and good deeds. That this life wasn't meant to be alone, but it's meant for us to live it together. Show up for your small group. You're not in a small group? Sign up for a small group. Get in a small group. And if you don't like those people, find another small group. There's people that are there that you might like. There's got to be somebody here in this church. We're a large group. I don't like people. Well, that's okay. Got to work on that by being in a small group. No, show up for church. Go to church. Don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Every time these church doors are open or every time you have a small group, you need to go. And maybe it's not just for you. Maybe it's for the person that's in that group there that needs what you're going to say to them through the power of the Holy Spirit to encourage them in their relationship with Christ. That's love and good deeds. If these characteristics are not in our lives, can we really call ourselves a Christians? Can we really call ourselves Christians? What's the evidence of a Christian? Listen, the world knows this. If you go to church, that's a Christian thing to do. But there's all these people that say, hey, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Oh, I don't understand. I, I am the church, but I do it by myself. Oh, how does that work out for you? No, the reality is we're just come together. Whether you're in a house church, whether you're in a monstrosity mega church or anything in between, go to church because church is about coming together to encourage each other on to love and good works. It's the process of, of, of working out your sanctification or your holiness in front of others. Number three, and I'm, I'm completely out of time, all in for Christ or be brought home with Christ. What happens in poker when you go all in? You either win big or you lose big, right? It's time for us as Christians, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, is to go all in. Go all in for Christ. I'm a horrible poker player because when I think I have the winning hand, I go all in. Sean wants to play poker with me all the time. Pastor Sean wants to play poker with me. Because I lose big. But on that one day when I win, feels great. No, it's that idea of go all in or be brought home for Christ. What, what's the writer of Hebrews saying? Here it is, sin or Christ, choose one. Verses 26 through 29. If you're defying about sin and I want to give you your sin type, the sin types. There's two types of sin, and, and the first sin is the sin of omission and the sin of commission. And the sin of omission is this. It's not doing what you should be doing in obedience to God. Most Christians live in the sin of omission. Those that know us to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's this idea that God has called us to do love and good deeds. If you don't do those love and good deeds, guess what, Christian, you're in sin, you thought the sin was just not doing a certain, living a certain way. The reality is, no, God has called us to do certain things, that if we don't do those things, then we're living in sin. Like loving your neighbor. 
That's the sin of omission. This is the hard part of this passage. He just gave us what the attitudes and actions we're supposed to have as Christians. We can't be defiant about our sin. And the sin of commission is obviously doing what we should not do or disobeying God or living in disobedience to God. See, the sins of commission, we understand. Don't lie, don't cheat. We think of the Ten Commandments. But the sins of omission, the things that we should be doing, those things, we think we're immune from those things or we don't have to do those things. And the reality is, no, God has called us to do those things. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, lives inside us and he wants to do those things through us. There's a dear saint that always used to pray, Sister Rose, she always used to pray, Jesus, you have no hands but our hands. You have no feet but our feet. It's the sin of omission and the sin of commission. Because if we don't do those things, if we live in sin, if we continue in sin, we're insulting and enraging the Holy Spirit. How are we insulting and enraging the Holy Spirit? Think about it, pregnant woman. A pregnant woman who drinks or smokes has a direct effect to the, to the life that's inside her. Christian, you have the life of God inside you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 9. And when you sin, you are taking the Holy Spirit of God inside you into that sin. And this hurts and grieves the Holy Spirit of God. That's why when you sin, you can't like it anymore. Before Christ, guess what? You could sin, not feel any guilt. Now when you sin, you start to feel guilt and you're like, why am I feeling this? It's because the Holy Spirit of God is inside you going, hey, this is not what I want to do. This is not what I have for you. And Christians, guess what? We are gonna sin it's not about perfection, it's about Christ. So what's the, what's, what's the thing? There's no fear of God. See, the idea of the no fear of God will always keep sin front and center. What's, what's the writer of Hebrews say? Look at this. Verse 31, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A terrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Do we really believe that it's terrible or do we, do we think when we sin, whew, got away with it, nobody saw me, nobody knew? No fear of God. And not fear in the fear sense, but fear in the, the reverence sense. Letter B, judgment awaits Christians who continue in sin and ignore God. I, I have so much on this, but I want to just share one scripture verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 through 9. We're going to get there in a few weeks, but I just want to read this. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes those he accepts as his children. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children after all translated this, and I like what the King Jimmy says. 
If the Spirit of God, if God doesn't discipline you as a child on this earth, then the Bible says you're a bastard and not a son. That's what the King Jimmy says. You're illegitimate. That means you don't belong to God. If you continue in sin and nothing happens, then you should get very afraid because it might mean that you might not have Christ or Christ does not have you. Don't ignore God's warnings of discipline. If you read John chapter 15, verses two through six, and there's a lot of spiritual interpretation on this as we look at Hebrews 10, but it's this idea of does physical death await those that continue to ignore the warnings of discipline? What happens if you are saved and, you, and the spirit of God is doing this and you continue in sin and continue in sin and continue in sin and continue in sin and never come back to the Father in repentance? Well, what would happen to the prodigal son if he never went back to his father and he was in the pig pen? He probably would have died physically. Now, would he have still been the son? Absolutely. Still would have been the father's son. But he would have died. It's not me, it's what the scripture says. So don't ignore the warnings of discipline that God is giving. Christ will return. Live for him now. Don't wait. Eternity awaits Christians who suffer, lose stuff, hurt, or die. He's talking about, remember in the beginning when you were struggling and having all this persecution and all this stuff was happening to you? Remember how joyful you were? What happened? Christ is going to return. Eternity awaits you. Remember when we were faithful and joyful because of Christ? And, and I highlighted were, bolded it in. Why? Because remember when we were faithful and joyful. Remember Christ? Remember when you first got saved and you were like, this is the most wonderful thing that could ever have happened to me in my life. The writer of Hebrews is saying, remember that. Go back to that. Don't lose that. The gospel still works today. It still works in your life now. If you've been saved one day or a million days, it still works. You're justified. You're living by faith is the byproduct of this. Trust God in everything. Christ is returning. Live for the return of Christ. This will produce Christians who live by faith. Those who claim to be Christians will only turn their backs on God. If you just claim to be a Christian and there's no evidence of God in your life, then eventually you will turn your back on God. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. None of us are immune to it. And dear brothers and sisters, dear Christians, my prayer is that we would go to the kingdom of God and be with God arm in arm, hand in hand, linked together, running across this finish line together because of the great and glorious gospel of what Christ has done. A friend of mine, he worked and volunteered in the Special Olympics and, and, and he was there with a family and the family was there and, and, and he had his, they, they had their son that ran this race and he won the gold medal every year and this year was different because he was running with his best friend and they were running in this race, the 1500 and as they're running, his best friend fell down and the kid that won it every year stopped 
turned around, ran back, picked up his friend who was crying because he had fallen down in the race and helped him run across the finish line together. My friend in the stands, he was weeping. That's the Christian life. If you're doing well, look behind you and see the Christians that aren't doing well and circle back and pick them up and run the race with them and carry them until they can run on their own again. It's what God has called us to do, Christian. God has called us. If you've never believed and received Jesus Christ, maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what? It's been a long time since I was that type of a Christian. It's my prayer to you that you go do business with God this morning and don't leave here without saying, Jesus, I want to go back to the beginning. We have kneeling benches in the back, in the dugouts. I call them the dugouts. And there's going to be some people back there that would love to pray with you and to say, let's go back to the beginning. Let's remember the gospel. If you've never believed and received the gospel, that's where you're going to go. And you're going to believe and receive the gospel and say, you know what? I'm ready to believe and receive Jesus into my life. I'm ready to be clean. I'm ready to be changed. Don't leave here without it. Let's pray. Father, your words, your spirit working in our lives. Help us to go from here, Lord. Help us not to go through here alone, Father, but help us to go and link arms and go through here this life together. I pray for those that are ready to believe and receive Jesus. I pray that they would go back to the kneeling benches and they would, they would sit down, they would kneel down with someone who doesn't know that, that, that it's there and Somebody there would show them, take a Bible and show them how they can believe and receive Jesus Christ. And I pray for the Christians here, Lord God, that are in the pig pen, Lord God, like the prodigal son, and I pray, Lord God, that they would go back to the beginning and they would return to you, Father. Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you for this, this group, this church that you've called. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name, amen.